Welcome to this edition of the Million Dollar Mastermind Podcast. This is where we pick the brains of high achievers from all walks of life and get their hard-earned, real-world insights on winning. I'm your host, Larry Wydell. Exciting afternoon because we're talking to Sonny McGraw. And uh, Sonny, that's McGraw, right? Not yes, Mc- McGraw. I was going yeah. to correct you. It's Sonny a common McGall. mistake. And... Uh, Founder of, of many things, Sonny McGow, marketing right now. Sonny loves marketing, and Sonny's really great at it and has had a major impact in business, a lot of people's lives. And so, Sonny, we want to get into that and find out how you climbed that ladder and moved into a position of influence, which is all, you know, that's the way you. If you can't gather an audience, if you can't, you don't have an audience to speak to, it's not much of a message you've got, you know. But if you got a good message, you're helping people, the uh, crowds grow. And you've certainly seen that in your career. So you're up in Toronto, Canada. Uh, mm-hmm. That's right. Enjoying the first snowstorm, as we talked about. <laughs> you got it. Yeah. And so the first of many, by the way, I'm sure. But oh, be great in the spring when it melts. You got all <laughs> plenty of water. So, and uh, why do you live in Toronto? Great question. I was born here. I was born in this oh. area. I've lived in five different countries actually for over a year at a time, and I've traveled to, I believe it's forty-one countries now. But I really, really do love Canada. Yeah, yeah, and, it's uh, a great what, place. What is that? Because friends, family, or uh, sure. Yes. Is that the bank? You just feel comfortable. You grew up there and you got the contacts, you know how to get things done. You know where people are. Is it a comfortable thing? Is it an efficiency thing? What is it? I mean, I'm sure most people live where they live due to some of those factors, but really I love it here. Toronto is a fabulous place to live. It's the, the most ethnically diverse city in the world now. It just beat New York and London. So, I mean, you want to try an Ethiopian restaurant? Absolutely. Here we go. Here's five. You know, Mongolian fair. There's all kinds of different neighborhoods. The art scene is incredible. The live music scene is unbelievable. It's safe. I have three children. I have three teenagers. I don't want to get into why it's safer, but I'm sure we can all extrapolate on why it's safer for our children to be here. The, The outdoors is incredible. And winter is a bit of a pain in the butt. There's no doubt. But if you're prepared, and this is the key, Larry, if you're prepared for winter, it can be fabulous. Just yeah. get some snowshoes. It's yeah. a wonderful thing to do. Get some snowshoes and you'll see some incredible parks and the trails. So Toronto's great. I highly, highly suggest you come. You can stay with me. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> with the teenagers. Yeah, the teenagers' rooms. That's uh, right. Well, I've loved the fun. Double up, so. Talk to us now. How did you start it in Toronto? When you grow up in Toronto, what kind of family did you come from? And what did you set, you know, what happened to you? What did you see that you think influenced you in significant ways? Great question. I'd like to go back to something you said at the, at the very beginning, okay. too, is that helping people. And I right. think you said, you know, if you have an audience and you can help people. And uh, I really, that really stuck with me when you said it, because I think that's what, been one of the best parts of my career is that I've always felt that I was in service to people in some way, some roles more than others. And we'll, we can talk about that. But if you're doing marketing or doing anything where you feel that you're providing a service and you're really helping to elevate your community, 
you're providing information, opportunities, you're helping people, that's a great position to be in. And I've been fortunate to have that experience in my career. And as far as how I got here, both let me, my- let me do something. Oh, I'm yeah. gonna put some you put something on the table there. I'm gonna put something on the table for us to get to. Do uh, it. Which one thing that you uh you write blog posts and I really like the uh, title of one of them is ideas without actions are worthless. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> totally. Yeah. That's why when you know we look for uh speakers for this podcast, it's you gotta have accomplishments. You know, you got to have results or it's just words. You know, you've got words. Everybody's got words and can act the part, but you can hire an actor for that, you know. And so yeah. when they say the things, it's not as convincing or doesn't communicate as someone has actually lived the words. And so I hope we get into that. But to let people know, well, I'm not even going to get into it, but I mean, right now we'll have to get into it. But I mean, you, gradually, but you have spoken, you know, you're a TEDx speaker, you're a university lecturer, you're a, uh, you know, you've done amazing things with your business. You took a sabbatical leave for 10 months, travel around the world, backpacking with your family. And, you know, they say the thing that, uh, Sonny, that the one thing they studied families and they felt the real close knit families are ones that do a lot of traveling together, not because of any other reason other than you go through so much suffering from traveling yeah. <laughs> and the suffering bonds you together. You know, I, you I couldn't agree more. I all couldn't agree surprises. more. Yeah. You know, yeah. you've got no one but each other kind of depend on to get through it. So anyway, I'll stop interrupting you. And uh, how did you get off on this thing? And I, I want to get all the things on the table that you eventually that you've done for people, but working with big players like Starbucks, Coke, General Motors, and uh, becoming a creative director at age 40, you know, lots of things that are beyond the scope of most kids when they're thinking about their future. So what were you thinking about? What made your eyes light up? Great stuff. Well, I think it's worth noting that I was raised in a very, very entrepreneurial environment. So my father was a finance guy, but super into entrepreneurship. So he bought companies, built them and sold them. So that that was implanted in me pretty young, that that, that was something I wanted to work in. And my mom was a kindergarten teacher, but she, the worst word in my house, Larry, was the word bored. It was like the F word. Like you could not say that word. Bored was outrageous. So my brother and I learned to solve problems, be creative. And my mom would also never buy us coloring books. It was always blank pieces of paper and crayons. So it was fertile ground for being like problem solvers, really creative, figuring things out on our own and, and entrepreneurship, which is the line of work that I'm in now. So I think that's really important because I gravitated to it from a young age. And when you talk about young kids and what they might be looking towards, I saw opportunity everywhere I looked as a young kid. I saw opportunity to fix things, to improve things, to help people with things. And I still do. And I have to actually rein it in sometimes because I'm like, they don't want to hear your thoughts, Sunny. Like, you don't have to tell everybody your thoughts on how to fix something. But I think that's an important thing is learning how to spot opportunities. And so my youth was fertile for that. Yeah. It, I guess if you're a comedian, you grow up and you you learn how to spot comedy. Everywhere you look, you see comedy. An entrepreneur, uh, everywhere they look, they see opportunity. So talk about when, you, as you, you know, you came up, how did that, background inform what you choices you made and activities and things you got involved in? 
Well, it's worth noting that my first foray after university, so in Canada, we have four years of university is an honors degree. So I was graduating at about age 22. I have a degree in fine arts and art history and a minor in philosophy. So wow. people would say I have a degree in sounding good at a cocktail party. Like it's not, not, not maybe the most applicable degree, but I loved it. But I wasn't sure what I wanted to do. But I did know that I had a dream from the time I was 11 years old of working for, are you familiar with the, the company Club Med? Sure. Okay. So at 11 years old, I went to my first club med with my folks and I fell in love. I wanted to work there so badly and I was athletic and I loved the sunshine. So in my third year of university, the year before I graduated, I called up club med and I said, what do you never have enough of? Like, what do you always need at club med? And they said, we never have enough archery instructors. I was like, okay. That's not what I expected to hear. I thought they were going to say childcare or waitresses or hostesses, but they never had enough archery instructors. So here again, I seized the opportunity. I joined an archery club. I was the only woman. I was the only non-hunter. And I took archery lessons for one year. And I became so good that I could coach at an Olympic level. Wow. And then in just a few months before I graduated from fourth year university, I called up Club Med again and I said, okay. I'm an archer now. I would like an interview. And they said, okay, well, why don't you call the Montreal office? And I said, no, I want to come to head office, which is actually in uh, close to Lauderdale in Florida. And they said, okay, well, that you don't really need to do that. And I said, no, I really want to do that. Like I wanted to stack all the odds in my favor. So I bought myself a plane ticket. I flew myself on my own dollar, poor student, but I flew myself down to Florida. I showed up at the interview with my bow and my arrows and my targets. I even had balloons to blow up if they wanted to see some fun stuff. And they took one look at me and they were like, you're hired. Like, we don't need to see you shoot. You're good. So that might seem like a little bit. And I did spend three glorious years working at Club Med. I loved it as much the day I left as the day I arrived. And I worked one year in the Dominican Republic and two years in Mexico. Ah. And it's worth telling that because that really informed how I approached everything that was really important to me in life. Now, you can't always go that far with every single thing because it's a fast track to burnout. But if you really want something, just look at all the possibilities and tick off. Ding, 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 ding. I made it. I made myself unignorable. Yeah, that's you a know, great I, phrase. Yeah, I think phrase. you made yourself you. unignorable. Yes. I don't think I've ever heard it said that way, but <laughs> well said. You can borrow it. Yeah. <laughs> and that, but that did inform a lot of other things I've done in my career. If I want something very badly, and I'm certain that this is a goal of mine, I will take that same approach. And uh, it served me well. And so how did your confidence come up? You're growing up, you're in the Dominican Republic, you're, you're down there and you're meeting people, you're getting your feet underneath you. How are you being transformed? What are you seeing that you notice about the people who come down there? And, uh, you know, you're somebody who looks for opportunities. What were you thinking about yourself and your future? When, at what point did you start thinking beyond Club Med? Great question. Well, the people at Club Med, and I think this is one of the reasons I really wanted to work there specifically and not just any resort. It's an international resort. 
It's an international company founded by French people, Belgian actually. So we had a lot of international people coming all the time. So it was just fascinating. The dinners uh, every night, we ate eight people to a table. So you're always sitting with new people and hearing new stories and exciting adventures and different opportunities and careers I'd never even imagined. So I was really exposed to some fantastic characters during those three years. And I think I realized fairly early on that I didn't have a long career with Club Med. It just wasn't something that I could see myself growing old with because I knew I wanted to have a family and that wasn't a great environment for a mother. So I sort of set my timeline at three years and I left Club Med when I was 26 and still, you know, fairly young to get into the job market in Toronto. Now, how did you move over into marketing? I begged, borrowed, and stole. I networked like crazy when I got back to Toronto. I had no idea what I wanted to do. I knew, you know, I had this degree in fine arts and art history. I looked into curation. I looked into museums. But I was really feeling quite dynamic at that time in my life. You know, you're mid-20s. You're just, you're up for anything. You can burn the midnight oil. And so my parents helped me to see the the positive effects of networking. So then I just started reaching out to people. I'd gone to Western University, a a university that has a lot of kids who went into business. So I talked to them, hey, what do you think about this? These are my skills. This is what I'm not interested in. What do you think? And that those conversations also, anybody will give you 20 minutes of their time. I think that's really key. And I tell this to kids all the time. If you want to ask people questions, go to their plan in advance, go to their office, bring them a coffee or a tea. Anybody will give you 20 minutes of their time. So I did, I was just prolific with networking, networking, networking. And then this idea of advertising and marketing came up. And I thought this is fantastic. So I applied to a few places and I was so fortunate, Larry, because I started my first foray into advertising was with this company called Echo Advertising. And we were the hottest boutique shop in Toronto. We had amazing clients. We had the Rolling Stones as clients. Really? Like, yeah. We brought Starbucks into Canada. We had all kinds of movie theaters and the Toronto International Film Festival. So some really cool clients, the Labatt Beer. So it was just a great place to get my feet wet with marketing and advertising. What kind of things go wrong in marketing for, <laughs> for a young person on the way up learning, you know, swimming with the sharks? What goes wrong for those who have not watched Mad Men? Uh, oh, my God. <laughs> That's so great you said that because people ask me, was it like Mad Men? And I'm like, yes, it was the 90s. It was a lot like Mad Men. People were stomping around and still smoking in the office. What went wrong? Oh, the list is so long. But I, I love that you asked me that because I think people should talk about their mistakes more often to see that yeah. it happens. I'll tell you a folly of mine. It's a pretty good one. My boss, my direct report was named Steph Sabag. He's a LA mover and shaker now with a tequila business. He had to go away somewhere. So he left me in charge of proofing a poster that we were putting out for the Toronto Film Festival for a movie called The Sweet Hereafter by Adam McGoyan. So I had this poster and this is back in the day where you were hand proofing. And so I spent he, and he told me, this is very important. You know, we, this is going to be seen internationally. Okay, I've got this. So I took a fine tooth comb and I went through every, you know, what a movie poster looks like, all those tiny little names at the bottom. Yeah. I had to make sure accents were correct and uh, punctuation was right. Everything, everything. The colors were right. I spent almost a day proofing this poster. I signed off on it. It went to print. 100,000 posters came back. The movie title was none. The poster. The sweet hereafter didn't appear anywhere. Oh, and I wanted to crawl into a cave and die. So that's my most profound mistake. Talk about not seeing the forest for the trees. Yes. But how'd you get, bless how'd him. You get out of it. 
I apologize. I may have cried. You know, these things happen. I think it's a great story, really, because who hasn't had a mistake like that in their career, oh. especially early on, right? We all do it. It's how you, uh, this is also a parenting thing. It's, it's what you do afterwards that counts, right? Yeah. Admit your mistake, learn from it, apologize from it thoroughly and, and move on. Yeah, so. you've got you to do that or you can't move on. You know, that's, <laughs> that's yeah, right. you're going to have to move on, but you can't do it if you're, it's almost like you got your shoe nailed to the floor because you will not admit that you screwed up. And it's never more humiliating that at the moment you admit it, is it? No. That, Except for the only in. other time is okay. still at three o'clock in the morning, maybe yeah. twice a year, it haunts me. Like, how did I do that? <laughs> you know, the guilt time. And so you kept on going. And uh, what was the big success early on? Oh, I think, you know, I can't say that there was one big volcano of its success. I, I think it was like many steady. And I think this is true for most people. Consistency trumps almost everything in life. Yeah. Right. You keep at it. Keep showing yeah. up. Keep at it. Keep working at it. Keep learning. And that's what I did. I also was blessed with a fantastic mentor at where I just mentioned Echo Advertising, and I learned so much from him, Larry. His name's Lynn Gill. I thank him and pay tribute to him every chance I get because he taught me some fundamentals that without those fundamentals, I wouldn't be where I am today. Things such as the simplicity of punctuality, but the absolute importance of it. So if we would have every Thursday morning, our company had something where we came into work an hour early, and it was called Power Hour. So from eight till nine, Power Hour. And we all learned to public speak. It was terrifying. Absolutely terrifying, but we did it. We got better at it. But if you showed up at 8.01, and that doesn't mean 8.01 minutes, 8.01 second, the door was closed and you were not coming in. Ah. Never, never. And yeah. I loved that. I learned a lot from that. And the other, the other thing that I think is worth mentioning that I learned from Len was this uncommon generosity. So as I said, it was back when people were still smoking in the office and Len hated smoking. So he incentivized us and we were all in our mid twenties. So pretty much everybody was, you know, smoking and not living like the healthiest lifestyle. He incentivized us and said, I will give you a thousand dollars, which is a lot of money back then, a thousand dollars out of my pocket if you can quit smoking for six months. And then when people did it, Larry, he would actually not only give them that all that money, but he'd have like a celebration where all of us would get together, celebrate that success. And I mean, what that, as I say, uncommon generosity, that's a leader who cares about their people. Thanks for listening to the Million Dollar Mastermind. If you felt there were any valuable takeaways from this episode, please take a minute and leave us a five-star review. Your feedback is important and really helps us get the word out to a wider audience. Remember, we have a valuable webinar that is absolutely free. Register for it right now at whitealamwinning.com. Thanks for listening.